Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Opinions, the panel. Well, good morning to you. And the panel consists of uh, Mark Hinton and Dave Worsley here. And uh, uh, let's begin, uh, fellas, uh, if we can. I'll start with you, Mark. Uh, there's a story coming out this morning from uh, the Stuff Sports Reporters, unnamed reporters, uh, uh, saying that Teikura Nata Alingamate, the uh, well travelled and uh, very experienced hooker uh, for the Black Ferns, has uh, opened up about a mental health crisis which he said came to a head on the team's recent Northern Tour uh, based around treatment she's had uh, over her career by the sounds of it. This is disturbing stuff. Yeah, it's a huge story. This came out of an Instagram post by the 30-year-old Blackburns hooker um, um, last night in which she basically opened up on on her mental torment as part of the Black Ferns. So it's got to be ringing some massive alarm bells. We all know what happened on that tour in terms of on the field. And now we're hearing from a, a very experienced player of a culture um, that clearly Smitty, she felt uncomfortable and some of the wording um, that came out of her post. Um, she talked about becoming mentally ill and having a breakdown um, during the tour. And, um, she talked about, uh, uh, you know, some of the treatment or some of the um, comments she's had being of a sustained nature over a number of years. And she actually na- uh, directed them coming from the, the head coach. So I would suggest, Marie, given the era and given the awareness that now exists around things like um, mental health, uh, treatment of players, bullying even, I would dare to use that word, this is a story that is going to have some major, major repercussions. We all know the cycling is dealing with some, some um, this whole aspect at the moment, and it's um, in somewhat of turmoil. Thank you, Father. I'm sure now New Zealand rugby um, are going to be asking some serious questions. Uh, this this really has lifted the lid on something that just can't be ignored, Smitty. Um, uh, watch this space will be all I would say as uh, this story plays out over the coming days and even weeks. Yeah, Mark, I, I totally agree with you now because, uh, you know, up until this point, uh, it's sort of not been a, a rugby-type issue that we've been made aware of, but now uh, we clearly have. Dave Worsley uh, uh, quotes, quotes in this uh, particular article uh, that I've been selected but didn't deserve to be in the team. I was told what my students would think of me. She works as a school teacher. Uh, I was born, sworn out for wearing my jacket around my hips. I was yelled at running to rucks. 
how I ran the ball, anything I did I felt I was doing wrong. A recent comment that I was picked only to play the guitar. I mean, goodness me, she doesn't name any names here, so uh, it would be wrong to uh, speculate who exactly is at fault till we find out, but um, pretty scathing. Well, there's a certain number of coaches um, you know, with the Black Ferns, so it's pretty much at them, coaches and management. There's only a number of them, a small number. I mean, I, I'm not too worried about being yelled at running to the rucks because the coach might say, I need you to run harder, faster, whatever. However, those earlier comments that he was embarrassed for me to be in the team, I didn't deserve to be there. I was only there to play my guitar or to play the guitar. That is, that's tough. That's, it doesn't matter who you are. When you get told that repetitively, as we assume it was, then you really do feel down and it's hard to get back up and uh, actually get your mental frame of mind into a positive frame and move forward. Uh, you know, that, that is um, pretty tough. Now, here's one thing I do wonder. Why are there no, or are there no female rugby coaches good enough, and hence you'll know this, is, is, are there no female rugby coaches good enough that, to actually take care of uh, these uh, new teams in um, the Super Rugby competition next year? Because it seems that there's never any female coaches associated, whether it's the Black Ferns or just about any team around the country. Mm, interesting that. Uh, we'll come back to that, actually, because uh, I know that there's uh, been assistant coaches thrown in around the mix. I'm not quite sure of the, the head coaching uh, appointments. There's no head coaching um, in Super Rugby do, yeah, next year. Yeah, do, uh, OK. Uh, I'll do a bit more homework on that um, uh, and try and come up with an answer there. But um, we've got plenty more to cover, fellas, so please stay with us. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Dave Worsley and uh, Mark Hinton with us this morning. Mark, news coming through this morning, uh, slightly more pleasant news around the rugby scene. Anyway, uh, Sam Kane re-signing uh, for the long term. Does that mean uh, we'll expect uh, an announcement on the captaincy around that as well at some stage? Uh, no, I was on the Zoom call with uh, Sam this morning. Um, he uh, was asked about the captaincy. He said that's the, the last thing he's kind of thinking about at the moment. Um, He's said um, basically it's his job to win his place back in the uh, in, in I guess the main lineup in, in, in light of I guess uh, the increased competition that exists around his position, particularly from Dalton Papa League. So um, he said he's not focused on that at all, and that'll come out in the wash uh, later on in the year. So um, was interesting to hear him um, speak. Uh, he said it was a no-brainer. To re-sign for New Zealand Rugby for such a long term, through to I think 2025. Um, he said he's, he's hugely motivated by that 2019 World Cup semi-final loss. It still burns, um, and he and he wants to kind of um, get the All Blacks back to the mountaintop, as it were. And he was asked about, you know, where he feel they've got to this year, and he, he gave some really nice insight on that. He said there's a lot of meetings, a lot of player-driven analysis, as well as a lot of sharing of honest thoughts with the coaches during their week in MIQ. He intimated that um, they really, he said they pretty much looked under every rock about what went wrong in 2021. So, yeah, the All Blacks are doing a lot of of, uh, self-examination, but there's also a lot of commitment to the cause going forward. And I guess, Smithy, we should um, give New Zealand rugby some credit. They continue to retain the top end of their talent, um, um, you know, uh, in, in this part of the world and in an increasingly competitive market. So well done to them too. It's, it's important we keep our best players here at playing rugby in this part of the world so they tick that box. 
Well, they're probably going uh, a little bit better than Cycling New Zealand, Dave, if you look at uh, yet another casualty just announced with uh, the sprint coach, Rene Wolfe, uh, resigning. Uh, you kind of get the feeling or you ask yourself the question, uh, when do they put a full stop on this? When can they? Yeah, it's a very difficult uh, <laughs> question, definitely. I mean, a full stop. I mean, how many sports, and I can name just about all of them, have had a Heron report or a McKinnon report or some other report like that? And so the cycle keeps going as cycling. Um, as we keep on going, the, the thing is with these sports, they get funding through success. So the coaches are told to push for success. The cyclists or the, the sports people are told we need success, otherwise the coach gets uh, loses the job, the high-performance person loses the job, everybody loses the job because the funding isn't there. So it's a vicious cycle as such. I mean, I worked with a couple of sports. One particular sport said, uh, look, um, we didn't get as much funding as we would have liked out of high-performance sport and out of Sport NZ, so um, we're going to have to cut back. Um, someone's job's on the line. So it makes it very difficult. So you've got to push for success. And perhaps some of the coaches that are coming in from overseas just don't know how to deal with New Zealand cycling. Maybe that we aren't as, uh, we, we don't like to be pushed as such or as much. And that might be one difficult thing for them to comprehend coming here. But does uh, that help with success or not? So it's just a real shame. But we're going to have another report about another report about another report. And in the end, nothing much will change. We'll go through this again. And then I guarantee in five years' time, we'll get another report having to come out. Yeah, well, it's got to, I think it's got to find a resolution before that, uh, Mark, though, for me. Uh, just uh, there hasn't been a, a good headline about cycling uh, for so long, it seems to me. And who can even remember uh, how well and who were the medalists were in Tokyo just the other day, theoretically, uh, because of these headlines? Yeah, well, I think it starts at the top, Smithy. Cycling New Zealand, just a complete and utter lack of transparency around what's going on in their sports. Uh, you know, their, their release on this latest um, uh, departure, I guess, as, you, uh, as we might say, of, a, of Rene Wolf was, a, you know, four paragraphs long and basically just said he was leaving, up, he was, uh, leaving his position and they wished him luck. And it ended with cycling New Zealand is not able to answer any further questions on this issue. Look, um, I understand, you know, obviously things sometimes are, are, are delicate and you can't always open up on what you might want to say, but... For me, Smitty, um, as the sport goes through such a tough time, we need to hear from the people at the top. We need to understand that they're acknowledging their problems and that they're addressing them. And I don't think we're hearing that from Cycling New Zealand. And as Dave says, um, you know, they get public money, they get government money, they get taxpayer money to fund their sport. There has to be accountability. It needs to start happening. They can't hide behind these anonymous or, or, you know, these reviews that, are, as Dave says, keep going on. We need to hear from people at Cycling New Zealand. We need to hear that things are getting better. But this comes from the yeah, top, as in CEO, as in board, and it comes from also Sport New Zealand. Now, Sport New Zealand, since when have they put out a re release that actually has some substance? And I mean real substance. Not, you know, oh, here's a lot of corporate gobbledygook. They've actually got to start from Sport NZ to actually get there. That, because they are meant to be the leaders. They're the funders. So they are meant to lead. So I want to see some lead leadership from them. I don't even know who their CEO is anymore. They don't do anything like that. But they're very good at putting out corporate you know, um, plans and processes that really don't lead to anything practical. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's ugly. It really is ugly for a sport that we've had so much great tradition in over the years. But you, you just kind of wonder 
behind the scenes until you get the answers at what cost we've got that success. Uh, what about how, how about poor Ajaz Patel, Mark Hinton? 14 wickets in the match, uh, not even considered for man of the match. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've got to say, Smithy, look, wonderful performance from Ajaz, and, and, and cricket's a funny old sport, isn't it? Um, we can be sort of lauding an individual in, a, in an absolutely dismal team display, and that was that was poor from the back caps, and I'm sure you know, you'll be the first to admit that if someone wears his heart in the sleeve around that team. Um, their batting was pathetic, and they didn't front. But what a wonderful individual performance, and, and, and I guess in cricket, you know, statistics are so important and the fact that he put himself on such a pedestal as one of only three players to have taken 10 wickets in innings puts him into a special place in history and I guess in a way kind of deflects a little bit from the disappointment of that performance but um, should he have got man of the match I know there's, there's a bit of comment around that um, you know you got 14 wickets 10 in an innings and then uh, as we say only been done twice previously I don't have a problem with him not getting it um, the Indian opener Agara, Agawa, I think you say his name. Uh, sorry, Agawal. Um, a century mm. and a half in a winning effort. And to me, that's the most important thing. Did his individual performance help his team win? Absolutely, it did. And put them on the front foot against New Zealand in a position that the Black Caps weren't able to recover from. So while Ajax's AJ, performance goes down in history, I don't have a problem with him not winning man of the match. Okay, uh, Dave Worsley, um, a, a, a serious fail, um, the Black Caps tour of India. Um, from the point that uh, Devin Conway smashed his bat with his hand for me, um, everything uh, sort of turned to custard. I'm not quite sure if that was the exact reason why. I'm sure it contributed to it, but uh, it just went downhill, spiralled very, very quickly. So um, not even close to a pass mark really, is it? No, he wouldn't uh, consider it that. But also don't forget that Trent Bolt was at home as well. He didn't uh, want to be playing anymore, being away from his family for you know, no, no it's a good enough reasons. So there was uh, two people um, out that may have changed a little bit. But, you know, it was a disappointing batting effort in particular in uh, the second test. Obviously, the bowling effort of uh, Patel just takes away from everything and makes it look sort of uh, rosy to a certain extent. I don't have too many issues with Selby and uh, Carl Jameson in the second test bowling. No, they didn't take a lot of wickets, but they toiled hard on a pitch which obviously wasn't helping them that much, although, you know, Jameson in the first uh, in the first test uh, seemed to do very well. Uh, yeah, I, I just wonder, it seemed, and it's very difficult from here, that some of the batsmen didn't appear to be applying themselves, but hey, what do I know? I never played for New Zealand. <laughs> uh, well, what I, what I do know, you know, is a hell of a lot about tennis, so you'll be able to tell me. Uh, we've had a couple come in, uh, the greatest rivalries in tennis. Uh, one from you, Dave uh, Worsley. We've got uh, Nadal versus Federer, or Borg versus McEnroe. Borg versus McEnroe, I remember, is one of the great rivalries. But w- w- what, in your mind, going back, would be perhaps the greatest rivalry in tennis, male or female? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, you know, you had um, Never to Labour against uh, Chrissy, uh, Chris Everett-Lloyd was a good one as well. Um, you know, everybody against um, uh, well, Monica Salas was quite a bit of fun as well until she was stabbed. I, I liked seeing Martina Hingis against uh, the Williams sisters because they were such different styles. The Williams sisters came out hitting the ball incredibly hard and bashing it, being brash Americans. And you had Hingis who played more like a, a chess player as such. And that made it a lot of fun because of the differing styles. Uh, the one that I liked growing up 
initially uh, when I was young was seeing um, McEnroe, Connors, and Lendl because you had the bad boy Americans against uh, the Czech player Lendl who was so po-faced, almost tediously boring and annoying that it was fantastic. It was great. I loved it because it was the brash Americans against the Czech communist sort of thing. And that made it kind of fun, especially in the uh, early 80s when it really was the Cold War as such. And for you, Mark Hinton, greatest rivalry in sport that you can recall? Well, I love the England box and rugby. Um, I think England and Australia is pretty special in cricket, and we're about to see another chapter of that. that, of that. But for me, the one I grew up watching, um, and it's not quite back to where it was, was in the NBA, the Lakers, Celtics, uh, through the 80s. I think they contested close to every NBA final or, or, or all but. Um, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful rivalry. They both won, I think, in the region of 16-odd titles. Um, but in the 80s, uh, they were there every year battling against each other. Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. For me, Lake and Celtics, you can't beat it. They both um, got some way to go to get back to where they were, but hope springs eternal on both great basketball cities. OK, Mark Hinton, Dave Worsley, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, and those interesting insights, particularly uh, on the cycling and uh, what New Zealand rugby might face uh, as a result of uh, <coughs> those latest revelations around uh, the, the Black Ferns and uh, one player in particular. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that.